Good morning and a very warm welcome to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 where we are going to continue our St. Patrick's Day festivities and have a time where we're looking at Irish hymns and tunes plus delving into St. Patrick's life and what that was about. But we tend to forget how profound a story that it was. And even though he is our national saint, we tend to lose focus on how, as a pioneering missionary, God used him to transform our nation from paganism to Christianity. And in turn, earning us the title of the Isle of Saints and Scholars. One day when we were having a theological chat over tea, which is normal in our house to be honest, my sister-in-law Denisa declared that she didn't believe that Ireland was ever a land of saints and scholars. Now, in fairness to her, as an outsider's observation, I believe there is merit for her misgivings about Ireland having such a title. But I couldn't let that go. In fact, as an Irish person, I am very precious about our Christian heritage and love the fact that we have a rich Celtic Christian heritage that predates both Catholicism and Protestantism in this country. So I had to dig out my copy of F.F. Bruce's book, The Spreading Flame, to deal with Denise's charge. This is what F.F. Bruce wrote. There are not many figures in history who have impressed their personalities upon a nation so completely as Patrick imposed on the Irish people. Later legend was influenced by the apparent parallel between Patrick and Moses in this regard and attempted to emphasise the parallel in various ways by representing Patrick's age at death as 120, by telling how an angel spoke to him from a burning bush, by ascribing to him a 40 days mountaintop vigil, by recording how he beat the magicians in the wonder-working match, and so forth. But Patrick's real greatness is impressive enough without such aids as these. It was he who brought within the orbit of imperial civilization, and better still, of Christian faith, a land which never belonged to the Roman Empire politically. And he did so to such good purpose that when darkness fell over a great part of Western Europe, as it began to do even before his death, the true light continued to burn brightly in the island of saints and scholars and was carried forth from there to rekindle the lamps that had been extinguished. And as we know, Ireland has had a reputation right down through the centuries of being a land that has sent missionaries, priests, nuns, irrespective of what tradition, all over this world, bringing the truth of the gospel. It is right that we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Joining me now is Pastor Dominic Montgomery. Dominic is the Baptist pastor of Cherith Baptist Church in Athlone. Trevor from our ministry team told me that both he and Dominic were conversing about the topic of reclaiming St. Patrick's Day. Curious, I asked Dominic what did he mean by that and would he like to chat about it on the radio. Dominic asked me could he think about it, which he did, and then he recorded these audio clips on the topic for me. But it's more about reclaiming St. Patrick himself. Yet Dominic gives us both an insight into the history of St. Patrick's Day itself and also explores the person of St. Patrick. So here is Dominic. Let me ask you a question. What does St. Patrick's Day mean to you? Did he really drive out the snakes from Ireland? Was he even a real person? And might there be just some truth behind all the myth and legend from the distant past? What do we know about the man, his roots and his life? 
Did he even have a real relationship with God? Maybe we can take a little time to concentrate on the realities of the man. Up until the 1970s in Ireland, the 17th of March was just another relatively minor feast day. The priest at Mass would acknowledge that it was St. Patrick's Day and families might have a larger-than-usual meal that night in honour of the saints. The priest at Mass would acknowledge it was St. Patrick's Day and the families might have a larger-than-usual meal that night in honour of Ireland's patron saint. But really, that was about it. The day just passed. However, in the US, since the 1800s, Strong Irish-American communities hosted banquets in Boston and Savannah and Charleston on Patrick's Feast Day, the 17th of March. They wanted to celebrate the good work that Irish charitable groups had done for their people and in their local communities. Later, parades became part of the tradition for the 17th, especially in Boston, Philadelphia and Chicago. Yes, the saint was certainly being honoured, but ethnic identity was also being confirmed and strong bonds of friendship were being forged. Now, all that having been said, what we do know about the real St. Patrick comes from copies of two sources of his original writings. The first is the confession of Patrick, which is largely an autobiographical account of his life. The second is his personal letter to Caroticus. Patrick was descended from a family that had been, for at least two generations, Christians. We know that because he tells us that his father was the deacon Capernius, son of the late Potitus, a presbyter of the settlement of Banaven Tabernae. We believe that Patrick was born in 373 AD. Some say he lived in Wales, others say England, and still others say Scotland. But it seems clear that he was under Roman control wherever he lived. When he was just 16 years old, 389 AD, Patrick was captured by a band of Irish pirates who sold him as a slave to a local chieftain, Millwick, who lived close to Slamish Mountain in what is now County Antrim, Northern Ireland. For six years, Patrick tended flocks. In his confession, he tells us, I was taken captive before I knew what I should desire and what I should shun. It was during this time that God began to work in him. Isn't it often the hard times that bring us to God? He goes on to say, Before I was humbled, I was like a stone lying in deep mire. And he that is mighty came and in his mercy raised me up and indeed lifted me high up and placed me on top of the wall. And from there, I ought to shout out in gratitude to the Lord for his great favours in this world and forever that the mind of man cannot measure. I wonder, do you know the delight of God getting hold of your life and how that feels? Patrick, like so many of the godly men of history, was overwhelmed at the incredible riches of God's grace to individuals such as himself. And therefore, he wanted as many people as possible to hear about this amazing grace. It was a constant theme that echoed through the words of his confession. 
I am greatly God's debtor, he says, because he granted me so much grace. He went on to say, more and more did the love of God and my fear of him and faith increase. And my spirit was moved so that in a day I said from one up to a hundred prayers and in the night a like number. Because as I now see, the spirit was burning in me at that time. How does God's grace affect you? Patrick relates how after six years he escaped and after a difficult journey over land and sea, he eventually returned to his people in his own words. I was again in Britain with my family and they welcomed me as a son and asked me in faith that after the great tribulations I had endured, I should not go anywhere else away from them. But this was a request that he would not be able to keep. Patrick records in his confession that one night in a dream, I saw a man whose name was Victorious coming as it were from Ireland with innumerable letters and he gave me one of them and I read the beginning of the letter, the voice of the Irish. I seemed at that moment to hear the voices of those who were beside the forest of Falkland, which is near the western sea and they were crying as if with one voice, we beg you holy youth that you shall come and shall walk again among us and I was stung intensely in my heart so that I could read no more and thus I awoke. Okay Patrick tell us a bit more about this trinity thing. Yeah Patrick tell us but remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning and we're hearing about all of this for the first time so try to keep it simple okay Patrick? Yeah real simple Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms, liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. 
partialism? Yes, partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously... I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Modalism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. So what do you guys do for a living? Well, we come from a long line of snake farmers, Patrick, but truth be told, business has been real bad lately. Oh. Yeah, about that. Welcome back to Heartlands and Midlands 103. That was Conal and Donald giving St. Patrick a hard time on the theology in regard to the Trinity. It's nice to know that even he used to get trouble. Now we're going to hand back over to Dominic as he continues to inform us about St. Patrick's life. Thank you, Dominic. Patrick knew that it was the Lord calling him. A still, quiet voice said to him, And he who gave his life for you, he it is who speaks within you. It was quite clear to him that the Lord was sending him back to work as a missionary to the very island where he had once been a slave. He was being enslaved all over again, but this time willingly to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Patrick returned to Ireland in 405 AD, and this is verified by two other sources, Marcus and Ninius. This is important to recognize because there is some confusion with a person called Pelagius, who was sent by Pope Celestine in 432 AD to bring the Irish churches under papal control. But note that these Irish churches were already there. But then hadn't Patrick been working for the previous 27 years? It is recorded that Palladius's mission failed and very much discouraged, he left for Scotland. But Patrick continued on in what God had given him to do. As he had previously said in his letter to Caroticus, I am a servant in Christ to a foreign nation for the unspeakable glory of life everlasting, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, Patrick, a sinner, unlearned, resident in Ireland. Maybe this was why he used the simple shamrock to explain the difficult doctrine of three persons in one God, the Trinity. How do you see yourself and what is your mission and role in life? We believe that Patrick laboured for the Lord about 60 years and clearly under his blessing. He states in his confession, Through me, many people would be reborn in God and soon after confirmed that clergy would be ordained. 
everywhere for them and for the masses lately come to believe whom the Lord drew from the ends of the earth. Patrick put into practice what the Bible teaches. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. By his death in 461 AD, it is claimed that Patrick had ordained 350 bishops, 500 priests, and saw some 700 churches planted across Ireland, each with a pastor or elder whose authority derived from their service. What an impact his ministry must have had. The island would have been totally transformed as the old pagan ways were driven out. Could this be why he is credited with and pictured as driving out the snakes, demonic symbols from the island of Ireland? The monasteries that he set up were places where men came to learn the scriptures and then go out to preach, teach and evangelize. These men saw lives, communities and indeed nations changed as the good news of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ was proclaimed and believed. After Patrick's death, others took on the responsibility. Men such as Finian, who was teaching up to 3,000 students in the Abbey of Clonard, County Meath, around 520 AD. One such man, taught by Finian, was St. Kieran, who was eventually to set up the monastery along the Escariada at Clonmacnoise in 534. St. Columba also studied under Finian, and under self-imposed exile, he founded the community on Iona in 563 AD. Indeed, there are claims that it was Irish Christianity that brought civilization out of the Dark Ages through men like these who travelled with the truth and gossiped the gospel. It really is no wonder then that Ireland became known as the island of saints and scholars. These saints and scholars were, just like Patrick said, granted so much grace. Let's close with some of Patrick's own words from what is now called St. Patrick's Breastplate. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. I arise today through a mighty strength the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Amen. I trust God that you will have a truly blessed St. Patrick's Day this year. So folks, I hope you've enjoyed our St. Patrick's Day belated special here on Heartlands. And may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, show your grace and turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.